Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast. We got a jam-packed episode for you today. The College Football Playoff Committee just released their first rankings last night. George and I are going to go through and give our thoughts, not only for just the top four, the top six, but our entire rankings, whether or not we like some of the rankings, what some of the rankings meant, whether it was Oregon over Ohio State and what that means for potential looking down the future for whether or not head-to-head matchups may more, make more sense for them to put over another team, despite the fact that one team might have a better record or a less bad loss. Um, some of the other things like Alabama at two, is that the right move? Cincinnati at six, some of the things that surprised us, like maybe Oklahoma at eight, we'll discuss through all of that, what our top four should, what we thought the top four should have been coming out. Then we're going to head over to the NFL trade deadline and discuss three or two major moves and one move that never happened. We're going to talk about Von Miller. We're going to talk about Melvin Ingram, and we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson, who ended up not being dealt, and now will be pushed off to find out what team he will be playing for in the offseason, when hopefully we'll have a a clearer picture if he will ever step on the field again, depending on what happens with the legal stuff with him. And then we head over to preview week nine of the NFL season, starting off with the Cleveland-Cincinnati game, going over to Green Bay-Kansas City, where we now know that Aaron Rodgers will not be playing. We'll preview that. What, what we expect to see, we'll now be seeing some Jordan Love for the first time in the regular season. Then head over to Arizona-San Fran, Tennessee, the Rams, and then finish it off with our best bets for Week 9. George and I are coming off two. Both of us lost last week when it came to our bets, going one and two. Hopefully we get back on track in this one. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy this one. So we finally got the college football playoff committee's first rankings for the college football playoff that came out. I'm going to go through the first, the top six that we've got right now. We got Georgia, Alabama, Michigan state, Oregon, Ohio state, and Cincinnati to round out the top six right now. Are there any takeaways that you got from this one, from the, from this initial rankings that we got? Cause this is the first time we're seeing what the committee has really thought about throughout the first eight or nine, nine weeks of the college football season what they see amongst not only the t- each individual team, but amongst the conferences as well. So the, the first thing I noticed was like the head-to-head discrepancy. I, I thought we, we started to notice that when they were talking about, you know, 20 through 25 and you were seeing Wisconsin being above Iowa and you saw a couple more things like that throughout the rankings, um, especially with Oregon being four and Ohio State being five. Um, and then outside of that is Bama being two was a bit of a surprise. I probably would have made them more like three, but I didn't have a huge problem with it. And then Cincinnati being six, which I, I frankly didn't have any problem with. I mean, as discussed, I, I think um, it's just, you know, as I said on, I guess, last Wednesday, we, we try, you know, they tried to schedule tough opponents. Notre Dame was a win, but, you know, Indiana ended up being bad. Um, They've looked worse in the later weeks. You know, I compared them to to Gonzaga basketball last week. I kind of stand by that, whereas I feel they may have peaked in like, you know, October. I had I had an issue with the like those were two of the points. The Alabama and the Cincinnati were two of the teams that when I saw the initial ranking, that was one that kind of jumped out to me. Alabama, look, it's the name recognition. We all like if it's another team that you're really saying is a one loss team that you're putting all the way up there, there's some pushback on it. Even like in Ohio State, if you were going to put them up there, there would still be that question, especially with the Oregon loss and Oregon being potentially below them at that point. But the Cincinnati part of it, I mean, you have Notre Dame at 10. That, that's where that is a top 10 win. And they look pretty convincing when they went into South Bend, Indiana and beat them. So that's where it really it's the whole like I'm not a guy that's like 
all for the group of five. I think they need to prove it and they need to go out and do so. And Cincinnati, I felt like did. I, I think it's just the branding of it all where, you know, they it may, they make it seem like anybody's got a chance with this. I have a problem when somebody like Cincinnati, who's a group of five team, actually goes out and beats one of these powerhouses and specifically one that's ranked in the top 10. I know the Indiana loss or the Indiana win that they have doesn't look as good because Indiana has been playing poorly and they don't have a good record. But Notre Dame's one where they went on the road. They controlled it pretty handily throughout the entire game and and they still have Notre Dame in the top 10. Yeah, I guess the, I guess the, the thing is like, when you talk about Cincinnati, it does make me think of Oregon, right? And because Oregon's schedule is tougher than Cincy's, but you know, the PAC 12 is always the worst conference. And other than, you know, I guess the ACC this year, it's no different. Um, and, you know, they lost to Stanford where Cincy didn't lose and Oregon's in and Cincy isn't. So that, that I did find to be a bit interesting. Um, also, you know, Wake Forest was like, I, I believe like eight or nine and they're, yeah, they're nine, they're nine in the initial yeah. ranking. And they're undefeated um, in, in an all-time bad ACC. So that's, you know, interesting as well that they, you know, effectively have no chance, right, at, at the nine spot despite being undefeated. Um, so, yeah, when you look at, like, the teams that could potentially make that jump in there, I, I don't really see it for them. There's not those there's not those teams lined up. They need a pit to stay one loss at that point for them to have that chance where you, if Pitt continue to rise up in the rankings and then they met them in the ACC championship game, if some things broke the right way, if Oklahoma lost, um, if you saw, you know, a couple of other teams potentially, and they're still undefeated, because I think they could, they could vault Michigan with, a, with an ACC championship game victory. Obviously if Michigan falters, maybe one more time uh, and they don't uh, win against Ohio State and the yeah. potential. And, and, and you bring up, and you bring up, um, you bring up Oklahoma, who was ranked eighth, I believe, and they're undefeated as well. But obviously, they've had a pretty rocky season. But they, I believe, you know, do have the opportunity to get there because I think Baylor and, and Oak State are like eleven and twelve respectively, and they're still yeah. yet to play both of those teams. So I think, um, yeah, they're it, sitting, they're sitting pretty. Yeah, I think you know, as far as being ranked eighth in the first ranking goes, I st- I still believe if they went out that they're in. Especially given that the Big Ten teams are going to have to beat up on each other. Exactly. Ohio State's going to have to go and play Michigan State. Ohio State's going to have to go and play Michigan. Michigan's going to have to play out. Yeah. And, yeah, Oklahoma set up very pretty with two games that are teams right outside the top ten. I think they're they're still in the driver's seat for themselves if they go and they beat those two teams and they go into the Big 12 championship, given the fact that we're going to see Georgia play Alabama and they could potentially – I mean, I I think there needs to be a talking point of whether or not Alabama – could potentially just stay in there if they have a close loss against Georgia. Are they, is the committee setting us up for that potential there? Yeah. Well, see, I think putting them at two leaves the door cracked, right? Putting them at three or four makes it really difficult and putting it at two leaves it kind of wide open. I think it, uh, you know, like in, for me, an undefeated Oklahoma, if they look good against Baylor and Oak State, probably get in um, over a two-loss Bama, pretty much regardless in, in which the fashion of which they lose, right? So I think first off with Bama, right, it, it like this conversation only matters if they lose by, say, three to ten. And the ten I'd say three to seven. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. Like three ten, to seven. Ten if it was really close the whole game, and it just sort of slipped, like, like you know, they're two minute drill down three, and it's like a pick six, something to that effect. Or yeah, like, or you're like, or George is trying to wind out the clock, and they break a long touchdown up. The exactly, game. exactly. So like a, a game where it really is a one possession game, but you know, it ends up being ten. Mm-hmm. Um, not a we were down twenty four fourteen the whole game, and we lost you know thirty one twenty one. That wouldn't do it. Um, so I, I think the door is open. I do. The last thing I want to touch on is I think one of the telling things about the committee is the fact that the SEC is just 
they they hold the SEC in a much higher regard than the other conferences. And we've seen this time and time again, year after year. But if you look at it, it's like each top team in the loss column is from the SEC. So the top one loss team is Alabama. The top two loss team is Auburn. Top three loss team is Mississippi State. And that's over teams that potentially have one or like in the case of Auburn, I believe they're over teams that have one loss. And then with Mississippi State, who's got three losses, they're over teams that have two losses. Yeah. And um, and the thing about that is like, uh, you know, I, I do understand the SEC bias or you don't even have to like bias maybe is a negative way to put it. I understand the SEC favoritism, but I do feel this year, given how good the Big Ten has been, I actually feel that the Big Ten, you know, um, it doesn't seem like it's going to be possible for them to get two playoff teams. But if a if a conference ever deserved a shot, it, you know, outside of the SEC, maybe this would be the year just given how unbelievably deep it is. Yeah. And you have they we talked about Auburn at 13. That's a team where they they lost at Penn State and Penn State's not even ranked. And that's you could say that if things break the right way, they're the second to fourth best team in in the Big Ten East at that point. And you're putting Auburn at 13 and just still giving the benefit of the doubt to the SEC when we saw Auburn go up against a Big Ten team and lose to them. And that's one a Big Ten team that's not even in the rankings at this point in the top yeah, we, 25, which we have to touch on, by the way, because so, so they dropped the top like I said, 21 to 25, and you see Wisconsin and Iowa, both with three losses and maybe even Minnesota, Minnesota was 20. Minnesota's 20, Wisconsin's 21, Iowa's 22. And didn't you think at that point when they revealed 25 to 21 with Iowa and Wisco being in with three losses, you were like, huh, Penn State's going to be 16 to 20, right? And then they dropped 16 to 20. And I'm like, oh, we're probably not ranked, but I was still somehow in my head, I was still like, well, I guess you never know. But, you know, I guess when you think about it, right, they've lost, um, you know, three three straight, right? It, Iowa. Yeah, Purdue, I mean, Wisconsin's the only one with three losses of those teams. Minnesota and Iowa are six and two. Yeah, true. But but I, I thought – I really thought that Penn State was going to be in. Even even after I saw 21 through 25, I was just thinking, huh, I guess we're higher than I thought. But then, you know, you think about in the last four weeks, they've lost three games. The best week was the bye week. Um, and so – yeah, I guess it's understandable. I was a little surprised, though. I know. I definitely, I definitely am a little bit surprised when you look at it because you know they have the the uh, the head to head the head to head matchup of Oregon over Ohio State uh, over a couple of other matchups, and Wisconsin's there at twenty one, and Penn State's not there. It, it's it's how you. I don't know how you juggle it because it's not like you put Penn State over Wisconsin and Iowa because Iowa beat them. Even though I mean, there's up for contention whether or not they would have even even been in that game if Sean Clifford doesn't get injured. But it's yeah, well, still it's still just a point that I don't know how you can how how you do it that way. But Wisconsin's got the same amount of losses. They have a bad they have bad losses too. And or I don't know, maybe not bad losses. They've lost to Notre Dame, to Penn State, and uh, what's their what's their last loss? To Michigan. Okay, so they've got good losses there. Uh, given like Penn State at full strength is a top ten team in my opinion, and yeah, they, so, they had shown that. And so you try to balance right the head to head stuff like you said, but then also. I wonder how much like current form factors into it because, you know, with seeing Oregon at four, Ohio State at five and Oklahoma all the way back at eight, you would argue that it doesn't really factor into it, the current form, because Oregon's been the worst of those three teams um, in the past, I don't know, four weeks. So, you know, if the current form doesn't factor in, then I did expect to be ranked. Now, you could use the current form argument and say, look, this team kind of stinks now and they're out. And I I would get that. But then you don't really see that reflected in the top. 
Yeah, no, that, that's definitely a different, uh, a confusing point about it because Oklahoma, since they made the change to Caleb Williams, definitely looks like a different team. They look like a much better team and a team that you could definitely see making the college football playoff. And then you bring it back to the Penn State point of it. They went into Columbus and that game was close throughout. It wasn't a blowout. It wasn't a game where they just looked like they didn't belong on the field. And as a Penn State fan, that's where it becomes really frustrating. That the team is where it is, but it, it shows them even more respect there. So that's where, you know, there, there's some things with the, with how this ranking came out. Obviously, not everybody's always going to love what the committee's first rankings are or any of their rankings are, but there are some discrepancies there that I think call into question as there are with really all of them. Yep. What would you, if the top four, how would you have ranked it? You you said before you would have Georgia at one and Alabama potentially at like three. Uh, I would yeah, just so curious the rest of it, the top, I'd, uh, I'd top four, put, top six. Yeah, sure. So I go, I go um, Georgia, obviously. I go Mish State at two. Um, I think, you know, they've played a relatively difficult schedule. They, it's also just the best for me, the easiest sort of put them at two and say, look, they still have the Ohio State game coming up. They still have a potential Big Ten championship game coming up. They're in control of their destiny. They just came off the best win of the last week in the country. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, for, for me, I, I would have sided them at two. Um, maybe if it was more of a blowout against Michigan rather than, you know, an impressive second half comeback, impressive nonetheless, but you could argue you shouldn't have been there in the first place, even though it wasn't <clears throat> against a good team. I can see that. Um, so I would go Georgia, Michigan, and then I would go Michigan state. Yeah. Sorry. Just, Georgia, just, just to good clarify that. No, no, good catch. Um, Georgia, Michigan state. Um, I guess I put Bama three just because Ohio State and Oregon are tough. I probably go Ohio State four to be honest, and you know even even in spite of the head to head, and just say that they've been better. And you know, when you have the head to head thing, so it's like, yes, Oregon beat Ohio State, but Oregon also lost to Stanford. So you can look at the head to head thing, but the way I look at it in more of the sense of like, okay, well, or, well, Ohio State's loss was way better than your loss. Right. So, so I look at it less so in the head to head manner and, and more so in the who had the worst loss. Yeah. I mean, if they lost to a team like we were talking about with whether it's a Wisconsin, like a, a two to three loss team, I could get behind it. But Stanford's a three and five or a two and five team right now in the Pac-12 and doesn't look like they have any shot. Like they're not they might not even make a bowl this year. No. So that's where I I I get the point of, OK, Oregon went into Ohio State and won, but that was in September. And we've saw seen them now. We've seen Ohio State round in a form defensively. Their offense has, you know, is one of the best, if not the best offense in the country. And Oregon has dropped one to a team that's below 500, well below 500, that probably one of the worst teams in the Big Ten or yeah, in really the, any the, conference. Oh, so, and then to round it out, go Cincy at six. And I want to hear yours in a sec, but I just want to say, you know, Oregon being at four right now, shaping up to be the classic crappy Pac-12 team that is just going to hang on for a few more games. Win a, win a bunch of unimpressive games and and just you know manage to be in there and get smoked in the in in, the, in that first playoff you know the semifinals I think um you know you always see this I, it feels like the fourth team you know it, with the exception of the years where it's like a Bama or Ohio State because they lost and came back when it's like a Washington when it's been Oklahoma in the past two years I want to see a fourth team in there that can really be competitive and I don't see that in Oregon. So I was. When I was thinking about this, I mean, Georgia's the one. I, there's there's no debate there. Um, I, I think I got to go with Michigan State as well because of the fact that they're undefeated. They've won at Michigan. They haven't faltered. They, they've shown enough. 
Um, I wasn't impressed with their early on wins, but if you go and you beat Michigan at home, that's something that you can hang your hat on. And they haven't dropped the game like in Oregon with uh, against Stanford. I, this is where it starts to get a little tough for me. I, I, I'm trying to, for me, it's about where I see them right now, obviously taking into account what they've done in the past. So for me, I'm going to go Alabama at three. I, I think they're still just, they're still just there. I, I thought that was just, you know, they, they, you lose games and I understand that. I think they've just shown the ability to beat up on other teams. And I, I still think that they're one of the top teams in the country. And then I think I go Cincy because they're eight. No, I think they have proven enough to beat a top 10 team pretty handedly at home. And with Oregon, I just haven't been like, they have the, the one against Ohio state that's early on. And they've then faltered. And then Ohio State, I mean, if you're going to tell me, like, they, they don't have that signature win yet. They don't have something that you can really hang your hat on to the point where you can say, point and say, like, that team's really good. They, they haven't gotten there yet. They'll have that opportunity with Michigan State and Michigan coming later in the season. But at this point, they haven't shown enough. And when Cincy has shown that and when Alabama has shown that enough, I, I think I'll take those teams as well as the two undefeated teams who haven't faltered at all. That's fair. I mean, look. Look, it's going to take a lot for Cincinnati at this point, right? You're going to need Oklahoma has to lose one because if they went out, they're going to jump you. Oregon needs to drop one. And then the Big Ten needs to shake out in such a way that only one team gets in, which I think it probably will. Then you probably need Bama to lose in convincing enough fashion. So at that point, you wind up with um, Georgia, a Big Ten team, and then well, then it's kind of wide open if all those things happen, right? Then you probably be third. Um, but you're going to need at least a few of those things to happen. Yeah, I, I think it's shaping up where Oregon could potentially, even if they win the big, the big, uh, or the Pac-12, they could be out. I think if Ohio State, if you could put Ohio State or Michigan State in there as the Big Ten team, and then if Ohio State goes and they beat Michigan State and they beat yeah, if Michigan, either team wins out. Yeah, exactly. And then Oklahoma, I think, is in a position to still leapfrog Oregon there because they have those ranked matchups against an 11 and a 12 in Oklahoma State and Baylor. And then they have, I believe, one more game. I forget who they are exactly playing, but I remember they have a third good game. Um, Oh, I'm not going to look right now, but I think it's shaping up for them to have that ability and also just the momentum of this team where you see them trending upwards. I'm just surprised that the committee didn't take that into account when they were making this whole thing. Yeah. And, and my, my last thing about Bama is just um, like you said, you know, they have sort of like the built up equity from being so good in the past years. I have no problem with that. Honestly. Exactly. That, that's the only team that that's the only team in college football. Like nobody's got an issue with Ohio. Like I'd have an issue if Ohio State was two at this point because they yeah, haven't proven it at all. And it's the fact that it is Bama. That's the one team that you can take stock in an equity in, and you'd rather be late to them being bad than early with it because they've shown time and time again, year after year. And I'm not saying they're going to gonna be bad or you should expect them to be bad, but I'm going to wait until they're actually bad before I do it, as opposed yeah, you know, to trying to be proactive with it. You know, even, even Clemson had, had some of that this year where when they lost week one, they remained in the top 10 and then they lost again and they were still hanging around at like 25. And I, I think that's a bit more of an extreme example of a team that was given more respect than, a blind resume test, you know, would have been given. Exactly. And you know what, that's what you build up over the years because it's yeah. college football and, you know, you, you can't just blindly look at it because there are teams that, you know, have the talent there and you, you put faith in, in Nick Saban. We, we talked about a couple of teams. 
were the the ranking surprise them? Are there any others? Like for me, it was it was Alabama at two, Cincy at six, Oklahoma at eight, and then Auburn at thirteen. Because we had seen um, Auburn, and I didn't think it was that impressive. I don't think they've really shown enough for me to think that they're that good of a team or the number thirteen team in the country at this point. I was surprised to see. I would have expected like one of those three Big Ten teams, uh, you know, in, in the West, the Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. I didn't expect all three of them, and I also thought. Um, SMU not being ranked is really tough for Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I think they they dropped their game last weekend, so that that's just that's just gonna, oh, well then, yeah, yeah that's just gonna that's gonna absolutely kill them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they lost to. Uh, let me see. That's and just while you look it up, see that's the unfortunate thing about if you're in Cincinnati's position, it's like you know, kudos to them for scheduling. So Notre Dame, as I said, was a success. But like you know, kudos to them to scheduling. Um, Indiana and then you have this big SMU game on the schedule although that's in conference but it's just um you're reliant on because you're fighting against these other teams for resumes it's not like you know a professional sport where you just win enough games and you're at a certain seed you're fighting against these teams for resume you need your opponents to be good so your opponents can kind of let you down and you're seeing that a little bit with Cincy yeah they lost to Houston last week 44 to 37 so that that ruined that's a shot in the heart to to Cincy at this point I don't see them getting the the wins there they're gonna have to hope for the anarchy like you were laying out before with you know one of the big 10 teams not only losing like in ohio state beating michigan like all these different things you're gonna have to hope oregon loses out you're gonna have to hope oklahoma or not loses out but like loses again oklahoma doesn't go run the table there there's some things that are going to be have to plan go into place a team outside of you know ohio state a cincinnati that you would and that's not in the top four that you'd bet to make the playoffs. For me, it's Oklahoma. I think that's pretty clear cut. I think we both were, were kind of on that. Um, a team that's not in the top four or the top six? Top, uh, that's a team outside of – okay, not top six then. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ohio State. I, I, when I originally thought of it – no, well, Ohio State's in the top six. Oh, so well, you just said not? I, I said team not in the top six. I was thinking because I said team outside of Ohio oh. State and Bama that's not in the top – because originally when I was uh. – when I was sending you the questions, it was like – I didn't expect Bama to be in the top four. No, then I'll, I'll go Oklahoma as well. Yeah, I, I think it shapes up perfectly for them uh, as opposed to really any other team with Michigan. You still kind of got to hope that Michigan State loses Ohio State and then you beat Ohio State. With Cincinnati, you got to hope for these other things. With Wake Forest, you got to hope for all these other things. With Oklahoma, it's pretty clear cut if they – win these games they're gonna they're gonna pull, they're gonna vault their way in there uh, unless Baylor and Oklahoma State absolutely collapse over the last part of the season which I obviously which I don't see happening yep okay. let's head to the NFL trade deadline ended yesterday not that many moves to be sit to be talked about um major one Von Miller to the Rams in exchange for a second and third rounder next next year I thought this was a little bit of an overpay for a six-month rental on a 32 year old pass rusher it's it at least like makes sense for the Rams because this is what they've been doing they've been in going for these proven guys, which I don't fault because this roster's ready right now. It's kind of, it kind of feels like in a dynasty football league where if it's your year, if it's your a year or two, you, you send all your draft picks. Like the guys that are contending for championships, in my dynasty league, they're sending all their draft picks. Like the, the, ne- the only draft picks they have are fourth and fifth rounders for the next two, two or three years. That's, yeah, that's what the Rams feel at this point. Yeah, and that's, and that's what they do. And I, I agree. It's a bit of an overpay, although I know that, the Broncos are paying, you know, 90 to 95% of his contract for the rest of this year. So that's nice. Um, look, it's, it's not wash Von Miller. It's not prime Von Miller either. If he gets on this Rams defense and starts to, I mean, I'm just picturing like, you know, what if it is prime Von Miller, right? And, and then you have Von 
Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And I mean, that's the best defensive trio you've ever seen. It already is arguably the best defensive duo I've ever seen. Um, just as far as like, you know, two players, you know, it, maybe it's not the flash of like two dominant uh, defensive linemen or something like that, but just to have both of those guys running around, it's just so impressive. And then you throw Vaughn in there and it's just, uh, they have the potential to be, you know, even better than they already are. I respect it. Um, I agree. It's a bit of an overpay, but you got to remember the second, third round picks are going to be at the end of the rounds compared to the front of the round. So it's more like, you know, 60 and 90 than like 40 and, you know, 70, um, which is, of course makes a difference. Um, no, it's, so, a, yeah. it's very valid. It's a, it's a high cost, but obviously the point is, I think they're paying nine, they're paying 9 million of the 9.7 that he's owed for the season. So they're taking a big chunk of that. And that's obviously part of the, the higher cost that comes with this. It's just, I, I, I didn't like it when the Giants traded for Leonard Williams when it was a six month rental, they give him a third rounder. Now you give him a second and a, and a third for a guy that I, I doubt they're going to resign is also in the, the back stages of his career. He's been fine. He's been good when he's played with the, with the Broncos this season. It's just, yeah, the price isn't great, but it actually, it makes sense. It's not one of those things where you're left scratching, like, why would they do this? It makes sense. It's on brand for the Rams. So that that's where it, I look for trades that make sense. And that, that's what one that does. But the Giants ended up um, resigning Leonard Williams. Yeah, they? which was even, which was, which was even stupider because they traded for him. I mean, with the Giants, the Giants were in a lost season and they traded for him just to resign it, just to sign him when, you they, when they could have just signed him in the off season. Cause the jets weren't going to pay him that type of money. Yeah. Well, you see that across sports, right. Where, um, to like, I, I think of Tobias Harris in Philly, where, where, where you, you make a trade for a guy and he's going to become a free agent. And at the time it seems like a great idea, but then like you don't win a championship or whatever. Obviously the giants didn't really see that happening, but then you look back at it and it's like, or were we about to let this asset go for nothing? And so rather than, you know, ex- ex- eating the loss, you double down. And I'm not saying Leonard Williams was a mistake. I'm not saying Tobias Harris was a mistake, but they're probably both, you know, a bit overpaid. And in hindsight, maybe you wouldn't have done it if you could do it over again. Completely agree. I like the, I like the comparison there to Tobias Harris. Um, yeah, both are fine players. Both are good players, but not worth the money that you you're giving him at this point. We'll see what they do with Von Miller. I wouldn't expect them to resign him because they have so many guys that are down the line or that they, they're going to have to pay, and they're already paying all those guys a lot of money in Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, and they're still paying Goff. So there, there's a lot of money there that they're spending. I don't necessarily expect them to do this, but for right now to try and win the Super Bowl, at, when it's when the Super Bowl's in L.A., it all makes sense there for me. Another team, another Super Bowl contender making a trade for an edge rusher and Melvin Ingram going to the Kansas City Chiefs for a sixth rounder. This was the Walmart version of the Rams trade because yeah. <laughs> they only had to give up the six. And he's obviously not the same player as Vaughn, and that goes into the price, but he's a solid player. And the Kansas City defensive line hasn't been good at all. I mean, there's not that many things with Kansas City that have been good, but they have the second fewest sacks in the NFL with 11 and the lowest for any team that's played eight games at this point. And the next closest is the Miami Dolphins, who are one in one in eight or one in seven at this point, and they've got 12 sacks. So I mean, one sack more, and it's the Dolphins. It's fit. It's fitting for the um, it's fitting for the Walmart version of the of the Von Miller trade to go to the Walmart version of the Chiefs this year, right? The Chiefs, um, because even against the Giants, just not not good at all. Really not good. You know, I, I said I liked the Giants. Unfortunately, they didn't get it done outright. Also, like, even when you're calling them Super Bowl contender, look, I don't blame you for calling them that, but even I'm like, still, you know, and, and they caught a bit of a break this week, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, yeah, you know, we'll see. I, I don't expect it to be a huge difference maker. Um, I view it more as like a, 
bring in a big name. Don't really expect him to make a big difference, but like, it sounds good on paper. Like a lot of the chiefs do. I mean, look, they have names on defense and their defense is just terrible. So, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah. It's a low cost, low ceiling type of play. It's somebody that you just, you're, you have another body there to, you know, draw attention to yourself and potentially open things up for Chris Jones for Frank Clark, who's been a very big, big disappointment. The same thing with Alabama where, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt, the brand recognition to put them at two and you don't really bat an eye at it. I mean, so you, know, like you can be up in arms about it and that's valid, but if the, for them to be in the top four, despite the fact that they dropped one at Texas A&M, it may like that. That's where you hold your, you, you look at the brand as opposed to necessarily just right. Like it's part of the factoring with it, with the chiefs, it's the same thing because right now they're still only a game and a half back of the division at the moment. And, you know, they still have those guys. They, everybody still has the belief in Mahomes, and they'll get it right at some point because of the equity that, that they've accumulated over the past three years. Last thing to touch on with the trade deadline the move that didn't happen, I just want to talk about Deshaun Watson really quickly because I've been saying from the start, it made sense that the Texans weren't going to make this deal during the season. It's just wait for the legal situation to play out and figure out what the exact draft picks that you would be getting are actually going to be. See if it's going to be a top 10 pick that you're going to get potentially from the, the Dolphins, from the 49ers. They already weathered the storm of after the initial reaction of Deshaun Watson being on your team and all the allegations, all this stuff, when they went through the preseason and training camp with this. So you weathered the storm there and the legal situation should most likely be, you know, clear, a clear picture at the end of the season, which should also open the up, open the door for potential other teams to come in and drive, not only drive the price up, but to give you an even better package there than just saying, okay, only the Dolphins, maybe only the Panthers, only like, only these handful of teams, but you know, you could get to the end of the season and there's could be teams that are still that are unhappy with their quarterback situation that could be then looking there or just have a clear picture there. I saw Joy Taylor. We both listen to Colin Coward from time to time. And I completely agree with this point that she was making about the Dolphins because they completely, you know, bombard or completely blew the situation up. They they shot themselves in the foot with this all because they they flirted around with this idea for months just to not have it happen. And they just completely deteriorated the confidence of Tua that he has not only in himself, but in the organization probably because these guys are just constantly flirting with the idea of getting Deshaun Watson. Now I've been a pro go get Deshaun Watson because when you can go get a a top five quarterback, a top seven, top 10 quarterback, that's 25 years old. You have to do it. If you don't have the clear cut answer at the quarterback position, but you better go do it. If you're going to flirt like that with a a rookie or a young quarterback, that's still trying to get his legs under him in the NFL. And you potentially have shot his confidence uh, completely. I agree. I agree. I think it's a very, like you said, you know, it's, it's tough when, you know, you're saying two is our guy, but all the reports are saying differently. Deshaun saying he only wants to go to Miami. Like, it, it obviously was a thing. Um, I'm not going to use that to defend how bad the Dolphins have been, but it certainly hasn't helped. Yeah, exactly. I think it was just from their perspective, I think they played that all wrong with the Texans. I think they're in the right spot. Um right spot right now uh, and props to Nick Casario for not just you know taking 50 cents on the dollar to be done with it because I think by the time that the draft rolls around they will have more suitors because the legal situation will be cleared up a lot more it'll be a lot clearer of a picture for other teams to feel comfortable you know engaging in those talks and potentially you know maybe the football team wants to be involved the Giants want to be involved like other teams that could potentially look to get another a different quarterback obviously everybody would be interested in a guy that doesn't have the back the legal issues that Deshaun Watson does but with the talent that he has okay let's get to week nine of the NFL season 
We'll start off with the AFC North battle, Cleveland versus Cincy. Right now, Cincy minus two and a half. What do you think about this game? Um, I like Cincy. I, I think uh, I think the Browns have been terrible. Um, you know, as we as we talked about, I want to say on Monday where it's you know it's one thing to be bad when you know you're going to be bad. It's another thing to be really disappointing when you think you're going to be a Super Bowl contender. Um, they're really bad. Baker's hurt. The whole OBJ thing is just like you know this is like. We talked about this on Monday, right? And I said, and I said, OBJ is a distraction. And you said, well, I'm not going to say you said he wasn't, but like, okay, we both agreed. Look, the guy's not a criminal or anything like that, but there's this off the field stuff. And lo and behold, his dad posts this video of OBJ not being thrown to. And this is exactly what I was talking about, right? It's a problem now. It's a cloud over the organization that they didn't need in an already disappointing season. I'm going to watch Baker force the ball to OBJ this week. I'm going to watch it not work. I'm going to watch the Bengals win. I like them a lot. I like the Bengals too. I mean, it was, I, I saw the, I saw the video that he had put, I didn't watch the, the video, but I had seen it circulating and all this. I know what, what was actually like the, the video was premised about where it was just 10 to 11 minutes of Baker just missing Odell wide open or just open at the various points of different games. And it just completely blew up in my face of what we were talking about. Obviously I, I agree we didn't talk about like Odell being necessarily a criminal, but yeah, we hadn't seen the the stuff that we had seen in New York in Cleveland. And this was just, you know, of it was just perfect timing, perfect timing to blow up right in my face and just prove yeah, me wrong right. there. Yeah. Can, can you, can you clip that together for us? So you talking on Monday, the video drop, like take a picture of the article of like the video dropping and then me today rubbing it in a little bit. That would be great. No, um, no, no, no. Candy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cut this out of the pod. Nobody's ever going to hear this. And I could, I need to, I need to add that to my highlight reel now, but, um, but yeah. And so, you know, j- just to talk about the game some more and not the off the field stuff, I think the Bengals are, are due for a comeback. I think um, the one thing that would concern me and the way that the Browns win this game is that the defensive line just gets after Joe Burrow, right? You know, he, um, everyone knows they should have drafted an offensive lineman in the sense that they needed one. Now, obviously the Jamar chase thing ended up being a great pick. I can't be convinced otherwise at this point, but you still see Burrow on the run all the time this season. A lot of the times to even like get him some time, you have to do these sort of like um, planned rollouts. Cause if he just stands in the pocket, he has about three seconds every time. And against this defensive line, man, it, it, it'll, it'll be really tough. So I think um, if the Browns can score early as the Bengals are notoriously slow starters, I don't have any stats for you, but just every time I, I watch them, it's like Burrow starts two of seven before he picks it up. Um, that's sort of the, their window. Yeah, so I, I like the Bengals too. They, their quarterback's actually healthy. The the fact of their defensive line for the Browns and the potential impact they could have there. I mean, we saw them. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is equal to Justin Fields, but the offensive line for the Bears isn't good, just like the, the Bengals isn't good. Bengals are probably a little bit better, but they were able to get after them. They were able to really destroy their game plan because their ability to get back into the backfield super quickly just deteriorated any sort of progression that you could have in the offense. Now I have, I have full confidence that Joe Burrow will have more success than Justin Fields did against the Browns, but it's still something in a minder. With me, it's Cincinnati's D is 10th in rush D DVOA. And obviously we know that's what Cleveland wants to do. And then Cleveland, their pass D is 25th in pass D DVOA. And we know that Cincinnati wants to attack through the passing game. So that's Cincinnati's defense is good stopping what, what Cleveland does well. And Cleveland's defense isn't so good at stopping what the Bengals do well. So I think that matches up very well for the offense of the Cincinnati Bengals to, you know, find their form. And like you said, they kind of start out slow. 
for them to actually, you know, start out fast in this one. And with the Cleveland offense, it doesn't look like they really, the past few weeks, have been able to string anything together. They've had 24 plus points, uh, while the Cincy offense hasn't had really any issues putting points up. They put up 24 plus points in six out of eight games. Meanwhile, Cleveland has done that in three weeks, just one time, or hasn't done it in three weeks and just one time in the last five weeks. All right. So I um, actually, I pulled up some stats to back me up. So Cincinnati, they score the seventh most points in the league per game, 27 and a half. For first quarter scoring, they're tied for 22nd with three points a game in the first quarter. Yeah, so that, that, that definitely goes along with what you're saying. And for a Cleveland team that, you know, likes to go through the run game, if they get out to an early lead, that's only going to keep you on the, on the bench even longer because, you know, clock's running and that's how they want to operate. So I think starting fast here against a bad pass secondary is, is very key for them in this one in a spot that I really like for them coming off that embarrassing loss against the Jets. Okay, now, now the, what, was, what should have been the, the best game of the weekend uh, we have just found out in Green Bay, Kansas City right now, Kansas City minus eight. And you might be wondering, why is that the case? Well, Aaron Rodgers is out after testing positive for COVID. And because he isn't vaccinated, he will be out for 10 days. So second time will be denied Rodgers versus Mahomes. Rodgers, no vax? Yeah, Rodgers, wow. no vax. There's a whole thing going on about how he kind of came. There was a press conference in August where he um, kind of made it seem like he was vaxxed. He, he was like, I'm immune. I'm immune. Uh, immunized I, I i'm not going to try and say it but oh, he probably just had it before and that's what i think i think that's what he was um alluding to but everybody kind of took it as like oh he's vaxxed like he's yeah. good. but like now everybody's seeing that he's not because he's out for uh, i believe 10 or 13 days but he's out for this game i think it's 13 days because i said they said that he's no never mind 10 days um th- this is a massive the line was originally kansas city minus one now we're denied Rodgers versus Mahomes for the second time. They're supposed to play in 2019, but Mahomes got injured the week before. I, I originally really liked this spot for Kansas City, despite the fact that they were on the short week. Green Bay was on a long week. Obviously, things change now that we're finally going to see Jordan Love in a non-preseason game, which is pretty exciting. And he doesn't really have that tall of an ask when it comes to the defense that he's going up against. This is like this is the ultimate wild card when it comes to any betting scenario that we'll have for the for any game this season. I think this is the ultimate wild card. I agree. Yeah, I think um, you know I, I'm excited for the Jordan Love thing. As you might have saw, you texted me this morning um, about the game, and I hadn't heard about it. And you sent me that Aaron Rodgers had COVID, and I'm pretty sure I just sent back Jordan Love with multiple exclamation points. Yeah, um, it's exciting. It's because you know you draft this guy two years ago now. He's never played any meaningful snaps. You know, maybe he got in for like a week 17 or something like that, but, um, or like, you know, in the fourth quarter saying, let's see, right? Because if Rodgers does leave, you know, and you'd think it might be a little bit mutual that Rodgers leaves. Cause I was thinking about this whole thing. It's like, are you really going to draft Jordan Love in the first round, trade up to get him no less. And then you're going to sit him for three years. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's tough when you want to keep Rogers, but at the same time, I feel like Packers are the type of organization who want to keep the dynasty rolling and not die on the Rogers Hill. So I, I do think um, this is a huge prove a game for, for Jordan Love. Um, and if he plays well enough, maybe the Packers might be a little more willing to get rid of Rogers in the off season, especially if he wants to go with what you said about it being a wild card game. So I kind of like the Packers. I'm just going to keep picking against the chiefs, honestly, because you know, they haven't shown me a reason to pick for them. The team literally never covers the spread. They've covered it like, you know, what is it, three times in 20 weeks now or something like that. So um, I kind of like the Packers. 
I want I wanted to go Chiefs just in the spot of it, but the, now when it's eight, it's a lot of points as opposed to the one where they just need to win. And you know, I thought that you know the matchup against the Giants I think was worse to when it's their the Chiefs offense against the Giants defense as opposed to the Chiefs offense against the Green Bay defense because the Giants secondary is the backbone and the strength of that team as opposed to Green Bay's, which is pretty below average at this point outside of Jair Alexander. But going back to what you were saying about the Jordan Love piece of it. I think that they it's interesting to see the not the parallels, but kind of it being like how the Giants handled the Eli stuff of it. The the Packers seem to think they want to be early on with it, like earlier rather than later, similar to how the Pats normally are, where it's like a year earlier as opposed to a year later. The Giants were like a year later than a year earlier with it all. So mm-hmm. I'm curious how how this really instills in them. I expect a heavy dose of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon versus a Kansas State defense that's 29th versus the run. I mean, they're not good versus the run or the pass, but obviously you feel better giving the handing the ball off to Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. They should have Devontae Adams back this week, which should be able to uh, you know, cause a lot of issues for this Green Bay or this Kansas City secondary. I think it's a lot of points, but you know, I'm probably gonna stay away for the most part. I might tease it because Jordan Love is just that wild card. I mean, I think the first time we saw him was this past preseason, like in like any game to begin with. I don't think he played at all during the preseason last year. I could be wrong about that, but that was the first time we'd seen him. (laughs) There's a lot of questions you have to have there, but two years under Matt LaFleur and in his system with the guys there every day of practice, learning from Aaron Rodgers, I think it'll be very telling about what happens with Rodgers or kind of the leverage that Rodgers could have going to the end of the season or after the season, depending on what Jordan Love does. Yeah, I think the only difference between what you said about the Giants is that the Giants didn't draft a first rounder, you know, two years before, two, three years before Eli left and were sort of waiting him out. They waited until Eli left and then played a full season, even if I'm not mistaken. No. And, okay. And- so, so Eli was just on the downturn and everybody kind of knew it. The Giants had the second overall pick, but they went Saquon. Then the following year, like they went with Saquon and Eli didn't go anything. And then they gave, they took Daniel Jones at six and then mm-hmm. Eli played like six games and then they transitioned to Daniel Jones. Oh, I didn't even realize that they were on the same, the team at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was just a, a very big contention point that they had. Okay. NFC West matchup, Arizona, San Fran right now, Arizona mm-hmm. is minus one. I, I thought this was definitely a little bit of surprise given where, you know, we've seen these teams this year that this line was only a minus one, but I like the Niners. And it's, it's not even a minus one. It's a, I mean, I see the minus one, but it, the money line is, you know, pick them. It's minus one tens. So um, it's a true pick them. Um, yeah. Last night it was a pick them too. I, I think, uh, it, I don't know why it's it flipped. Like just like the, it's like, plus, like that. it's like plus one, minus one, 15, minus one, minus one Oh five. But then the money lines are both minus. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, it's weird. So um, I think um, I think because, you know, they want to offer spreads on every game. So then you can like do alternate spreads and stuff like that. Makes but sense. Um, anyway, with, with the Cardinals, I, I, I agree it's fishy, but they're, they're sort of like a hangover thing going on with them. Um, like we talked about on Monday, it's like you have the Kyle or like maybe injured. D-Hop may be injured, J.J. Watt out for a long time. Um, and then the Niners, on the other hand, just looked really good against Chicago, might be trending in the right direction, and it's an absolute must-win for them. I guess I can understand the line. I like the Cardinals. I don't think I'll take them because I could just totally see San Fran winning. I think oh, you were talking about the injuries and all that stacking up. Kyler not there at practice today. DeAndre Hopkins not there at practice today. I, both, I fully expect them to play on Sunday. Yeah, 
it's just obviously not starting the right way. But I think the J.J. Watt injury, like he brought up, really hurts them in the run defense. And that's how the San Fran offense wants to operate. We saw A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones combined for 137 yards on 31 carries for about four and a half yards per carry last week. And that was the first game without J.J. Watt. They want to do what Green Bay did to them on Thursday, and that's control the clock, string together long drives, put together points, and obviously get them off the field quickly, and that's easier said than done on the defensive side of it. But Seattle, or San Fran, is number three in rush DVOA. I expect them to be able to run the ball on this Arizona defense, keep Kyler on the opposite side. And, you know, George Kittle expected to practice today and could be back for this game, depending on if they want to activate him or not. That's another dynamic or aspect of it that – you have to take into account there. And then the Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins injuries, I expect them to play, but you know, it's still something to monitor where D hop, we saw him get limited a lot. He played 25% of the snaps on Thursday night against the Packers because of the hamstring injury. If he re-aggravates it, Kyler, he's got the ankle injury. How much is he able to really get mobility wise because the San Fran defensive line can get after you, especially with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, all those guys, how are you able to maneuver um, the pocket really um, against a really ferocious defensive line. And if D hop is limited, look, they've got great weapons there, but if D hop's not there at the one, they have a bunch of guys that are pretty below average to their actual, like if you have to make AJ green, the one and Christian yeah, exactly. the two and Rondell more of the three and Zach are more of more of a focal point. All those guys are underqualified there. They're overqualified where they are right now potentially maybe not AJ green at the two, but more Christian Kirk at the three Ron them at the four and Zach Ertz as like a fourth or fifth option. Those guys are overqualified there, but if you have to jack them all up there, then they're pretty underqualified. And it's a pretty underwhelming group as a whole. No, hundred percent. It's a less extreme version of what we saw with the Packers when Devante was out, because those guys are like, they're already probably underqualified to be where they are. And then Devante comes out and it just becomes, you know, a really. And then you um, lose Marquez Valdez Scanling and Alan Lazard. And, and you lose Tunyon during the game. I mean, yeah, that exactly. was just uh, – that was not great. And, hey, they still got it done. Yeah, Randall Cobb. Like we were talking about on uh, on Wednesday, he came through. He showed it 2014 for him and, <laughs> and put it together for him. Yeah, and they okay. didn't even have to call Jordy Nelson. Exactly. But well, I, think they, well, I think they put out calls to Greg Jennings at Fox just to just to see – just to swim around the water, similar to how Phil Rivers wants uh, – if the, if the Saints want to give him a I call. I don't think they put out calls to Jennings because Jennings <laughs> goes on Fox and just rips Rodgers. Um, <laughs> I know. It's, also – You don't really quick, see that. I just want to add, I saw this tweet. Um, Browns coach Kevin Stefanski has told players that OBJ is, is quote-unquote essentially not on the team right now. So – there you go. Yeah, I know. I saw he wasn't at practice for quote unquote like team reasons. I assumed it had to deal with that, uh, with with the video and all of this. And he obviously wants out of there. Um, you know, it'll be definitely a talking point throughout the offseason as if we didn't have enough with all the quarterbacks to potentially be on the move with Rogers Wilson and Deshaun Watson. Now, now you add in Odell Beckham Jr., who it, look, he hasn't had the production there. Obviously, the video that his dad put up isn't um isn't BS. I mean, the, the, I, there are times where I've seen throughout his time in, in Cleveland where he's been open, he's had opportunities for big plays, and Baker just misses him. So I think he's still that guy where he, he can be a very good, at least wide receiver two and potentially a wide receiver one on the right team. Yeah, I mean, so imagine... he, he's somebody that could, for uh, like we were talking about the Packers, could they go make a move? Exactly. Right? That, that's a team where he can be that extra, he can be that, that point or that addition to a team that takes them over the top. And that's why I was surprised that nobody really made a move for him. But I also see why the, why the Browns who were a team that he could, that needs offensive firepower, didn't want to let go of them. 
or or like you know the Packers or the Chiefs are the two teams I was thinking of two teams with clear wide receiver ones Chiefs also have you know Kelsey at tight end but like you know an overqualified wide receiver too that it'd just be really really fun to watch exactly okay last game we're going to talk about Tennessee Rams would have been a lot better obviously if uh, we didn't if Derrick Henry wasn't out because now it's at seven it was at seven and a half but I saw the number was at six and a half before Derrick Henry and um and the Von Miller trade. I, I don't know how much the Von Miller trade. Meant, I'm more seeing than seven Henry. and a half. Yeah, well, right now it's seven and a half. I think I saw somebody who was saying it was like six and a half before the Derrick Henry injury, or they just they kind of took that into account beforehand. Because uh, I was I was going to ask you what do you before I saw that what do you think the line was? I thought it would be like four and a half. I thought it would be like the three point bump that you get from like a Roger or uh, from Adams going out or from a Waller going out. I would have said more like five or something like that. Like. Um... I think, you know, the Titans, look, they're in first place in the AFC by themselves right now. Um, I think this line is a bit high. When two good teams play each other, a line shouldn't be this. I mean, and the thing is, like, the Titans do have a passing game. I do think the Rams are going to win, but spread is intriguing for Tennessee. I kind of like the I kind of like the Rams. Like you, were, But you were saying about, like, oh, when these good teams, I mean, we saw – I know what you think about the Chargers, but the Chargers, uh, Chargers, Ravens games, Ravens blew them out. Ravens, Bengals game. It's like some of these games we saw. I, I believe the Rams would have covered if the spread for this for this game was the same as the Bucks. They would have covered that. And I think there are times. Obviously, it's not all the time, but I think there are certain matchups that lend itself to having one team over there. And this is a definite point there because the Titans their first game without Henry we've seen with Minnesota and Carolina their offenses become a little bit stagnant when the the focal point which is a running back is out for the injury when we saw Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey going out now you have kind of the 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 ceiling the the top point of it where there's never been a team that really runs their offense through a running back like the Tennessee Titans have over the past few seasons and now they it's their first game without him there yeah, and to be fair about what you said about like how you know some of these games just happen. I mean, the Titans are just man, what a difficult schedule it has been for the Tennessee Titans, right? You played the um, Bills, Chiefs, Colts, Rams back to back to back to back. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's where they they, all this, of them. Uh, yeah, they're, they're three and zero at this point. They're looking great. But yeah, I mean, it, it is tough to string these together for a month. We saw that with the Ra- with the Ravens after they beat the the Chargers by so much because they were on that street. They were streaking, and that was not that was like mixing in some bad teams there. And now you're now you're going like the Tennessee team is going up against three heavyweights there. Uh, given what you think about the Colts, we both think that the Colts are a good team that just had a tough yeah. schedule, but. Two really two good team, like three really good teams, and now you're going against a fourth one here. I, I think the Rams take care of business. I'd probably, if I was going to pick a side on the spread, I think I would go Rams, even with the seven and a half. I'd probably buy it down to seven just so I could push in the event that there's a backdoor cover with a lit last second touchdown. But I, I like this because I don't think I've I've harped on the fact that the Tennessee Titans love to use play action game to find success, not only in the passing game. I mean, in the passing game, that's where Ryan Tannehill is his best. That's where you see these big plays. That's where you see AJ Brown across the middle. And he takes it 60 yards without him there. That's going to be really hard for them to sell that on defenses to really bring down your linebackers and commit to that. Because obviously now it's Adrian Peterson and Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols and whatever, as opposed to Derrick Henry there. Okay, let's get to our bets. I again forgot to. I'm get. pretty sure. Pretty sure I went one and two because I lost on the Bears and Lions, and I won on the Packers. So that would bring me to. 
think like 18 and six or something Nin- like 19 that. and seven i i believe is the number um okay. geez I, I gotta get back on track with this because it's always just something that i just update as i do the pods so yeah <laughs> i went i went one and two as well with colts Damn. minus one that that was the heart heart and soul saints plus five and a half and then the six point t's of chiefs minus two and a half and jacks plus seven and a half and then you went one and two as well with the lions plus three and a half bears plus three and a half and green bay plus six and a half at the moment uh yeah i believe you are i believe that you are 18 or 19 and six uh, i'm scrolling down right now now uh, it's probably 18 right because it's been it's been, you know, eight weeks and we do three. Yeah, bets yeah, yeah. Never mind. I, I thought you were 15. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were 14 and four. Then you went three and oh, and then one and two. So you are yeah. 18 and six. I am 12 and 13 and 10, 13, 10 and one, I believe. Or 13 oh, and one. Hey, yeah. It's not bad, though. It's honestly not no, bad. I mean, I'm over it, but I'm over 500. Which, which you'll, you're more than happy to take. I got to get in that 55% or above. I believe I'm around there, but uh, it's, been, it's been a tough go of it late. Hopefully I can pick back up because I've had a couple of one in two weeks that have brought down my, uh, brought down my record at this point. So let's start off first. I'll, I'll let you have the floor for the first pick. Yeah, I don't think this is an easy week at all. Um, I, think it's, I think there's a lot of tough games to call. Um, and I also, you know, I used to do more totals, but I feel like I don't have as much success with them. So I'm going to stick to spreads. Um, I hate this line moved to three and a half, but I'm going to take Patriots minus three and a half um, on the road at Carolina. I think to suggest they're six and a half points better is a bit much for me. But with that said, you know, New England has owned Darnold in the past. Um, New England is turning it up at the right time. And I didn't see anything in that Panthers win against Atlanta that convinced me that they were actually a good team. I was looking at that in the game more for the total because I could definitely see that being like, you know, a 17 to 13 game, but 41, mm-hmm. like the number like gets you, it, it's, it's just so, so low. low. It's so low. And like, I could definitely see Darnold throwing like a pick six here or there. And then it just completely sways that. And you know, it, were, were the past the team that he was seeing ghosts against? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Bill Belichick's had, Bill Belichick has every young quarterback's number, but with the, with him, he, it's a special thing there. And, yeah, I, I I can't see him going two straight weeks having clean games. For me, my first one is I got Chargers minus two against the Philadelphia Eagles. They they've struggled versus teams that can run the ball well, and Philly's fourth in rush DVOA. But that I think the fact that the New England Patriots and the Baltimore Ravens had success is that they also have average passing games to complement them, and I don't think that's the case. With the Eagles, I'm a Chargers like I'm a Chargers Herbert Staley guy, so. If I feel that way about them, and I, I still feel that way, even though they've dropped their past two games, this is a really good spot and a really good number against a team that I don't really have that much faith in in the Philadelphia Eagles. And when this number's two, as opposed to, you know, the three or the three and a half, even if like they have a backdoor touchdown at the end of it, more likely than not, it won't be enough to to burn me in the end. Yep. Um, deciding between two different things in the Bengals browns game. Um, I'm just going to go with the spread. It's going to be Bengals minus two and a half. Um, I was eyeing up the under as well. I thought about doing some sort of like same game tease or whatever, but I'm just going to, you know, not because I don't want to. Um, just go Bengals minus two and a half. I like them. I think they're the better team. They're at home. You're, you're saying Cleveland's a, a half point better if it was neutral site. I don't see that at all. Give me Cincy in what should be a low scoring game, but hopefully they can get it done by at least a field goal. I wanted to take them too, but you know, you gave me the Colts last week. 
So I felt there like you th- th- this is your team. If you weren't going to take them, I was going to leave it for my last pick. If you didn't take them, I was going to, but I always felt like you were going to, because it felt like after, especially after we talked about Cincy Cleveland, yeah. like that we both felt that way that we liked them in that spot. Appreciate I'm going to go with, uh, of course, six point T's Rams to minus one and a half and chiefs to minus two. I mean, self-explanatory. I don't think that the Titans team is anything close to what they will, what they were with Derrick Henry now out. And then the chiefs now with Rogers out, I mean, I'll take the minus two, the plus, the minus eight's a lot of numbers or a big number there. And there's always that, that worry about the backdoor cover. I think with the chiefs and minus two, I feel comfortable there with Jordan love. Um, I'm torn between two dogs and I want to take the jets but I'm going to take the Texans. <laughs> I'm going to take the Texans plus six and a half. I wish it were plus seven, but it's not. Um, in Miami, I don't see the Miami Dolphins as being this much better than the Texans. I just don't. I, I think um, I think the Texans are kind of due for a good game. I think the Dolphins kind of had their chance at a good game this past week against Buffalo and squandered it. Um, look, the Texans aren't just going to lose by 50 every week. So I think the Texans at least keep it close. And, you know, maybe you have to, to Rod Taylor back. He was uh, he was potential to come back last week, now even closer probably this week. Um, Laramie Tunzel, their big. left tackle, could be back. So that, that could be a number that you're getting really at, at good value at this point. Perfect. Last one I'm going with is Niners plus one. Uh, I was talking about before, I like the matchup for them. They're able to run the ball really well. I think J.J. Watt being out will allow for them to have success in the run game. And then the injuries on the Cardinal side to their key players in D-Hop and uh, Kyler Murray should be able, I think will hamper them offensively to move the ball pretty effectively outside of the run game. And I expect, you know, this San Fran defense to kind of lock it down at that point enough. And we saw Jimmy G make some strides there and have his best game of the season. So I think he'll be able to pick that back up without having to worry about, you know, maybe they'll trade my trade me in season if I continue, but now past trade deadline does have to worry about that. We saw Brandon Ayuk take the next step. He had his best game of the season and George Kittle could be back as well. This, this past or this upcoming week for, this game and it's a division game these games are always close i definitely think that the plus one at home and in a pretty must win game for a team that's you know fighting for that wild card spot at this point uh i like them here so to cap it all off i have chargers minus two a six point tease of rams to minus 1.5 the chiefs to yeah rams to minus 1.5 chiefs to minus two and niners plus one you have pat minus three and a half since minus two and a half Texans plus six and a half. We both went one and two last week. We're going to get, let's hope we get into the, uh, to the winner's column this week with a, a winning record and get back on track here. That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on Monday to recap all of these games. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy this one. See you on Monday. <laughs>